Hi there, I'm Logan Clements, one of your co-hosts with the Better Events Podcast. This week, we are so enthusiastic about our guest, Ariana Black. We sat down with her to talk about the virtual attendee path. And this is something that both Mary and I think is so crucial if you're thinking about a virtual event or a hybrid event, because we often think so much about the in-person experience and sometimes forget about the virtual one, especially now in 2022, when virtual attendee expectations have vastly changed. Ariana comes to us with such a unique perspective from running uh, Women in Product, a virtual conference that she is all about attendee engagement. So we're breaking down what are the key components, how does this apply to your virtual show, and even walking through what components come up pre-event as well as during your event, and touch a little bit on one of our very favorite things, rehearsals. So you do not want to miss this episode. It's filled with so many great nuggets that you can apply to your next virtual or hybrid event. So stick around. Welcome to the Better Events Podcast. Join two event strategists, Logan Clements and Mary Davidson, who believe we can all create, host, and attend better events. In this podcast, you will learn about event strategy and actions that you can use today as an event host, planner, or manager. Hear directly from the people who are creating innovative and inspiring events today and tomorrow, and grow your business along the way. Now, let's get started, and thanks for listening to the Better Events Podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Better Events Podcast. We are super stoked to be with you today. I'm always looking for other words besides excited, but we're so excited in reality. So thank you for being with us. Um, we have a, an amazing topic today, and we're really excited about it. We were talking offline about uh, why we want to talk about this and how it often gets forgotten. So I will just leave it at that and pass it on over to Logan to introduce our amazing guest for today. Thank you, Mary. Yeah. Before I introduce our lovely guest, Ariana, I do want to shout out anyone watching us on YouTube or Spotify. Check out Mary's really cute earrings that she is currently rocking right now. Um, very Thank lovely. <laughs> but without further ado, again, this episode is, is filled with so many nuggets. I'm so excited to introduce our guest, Ariana. She is uh, Ariana with Women in Product is an experienced architect specializing in community-driven programming on-site and online. Her current obsession is building spaces for authentic connectivity into large-scale virtual engagements. I, Ariana, you're like speaking our language. Is there anything else you'd love to add to that lovely bio? Honestly, uh, I just want to say excited again because I love the word excited. I am stoked. I'm all in on this space that we're in right now, this future of events, the future of work, and the future of gatherings. And so I'm stoked to be here too. Yeah, and we're excited to, to get into this topic, which I know you have a lot of experience with. And we like to kind of start off our guest episodes with a little bit of like behind the scenes, like why we asked our guests. And so I just wanted to give a brief little flashback. Um, we both connected on on LinkedIn. And I remember I saw you actually on a, I think it was a Hopin video. And correct me if I'm wrong in any of this, but the Hopin, it was a video that Hopin came out with. And um and then I remember reaching out to you because I liked the things that you were talking about um, in your little interview piece. And I just thought it was so cool that though I was this random person reaching out to you, you on LinkedIn, that you were so willing to to chat. And then so we were able to meet and we got to know each other better and had a conversation. And it was just awesome. And that's like another reason why I'm just, once again, so grateful for the virtual world to be able to meet other event pros like yourself. And so it's always a pleasure to nerd out about events. And so we're excited as we know, excited to have you here today to to talk about that and to get our minds ticking about um, 
the virtual attendee path that we'll be talking about today. So just wanted to kind of give that background. Well, and the story of how we met sort of speaks to why I think this space is so important is that the ability to connect to people who are doing what you're doing or who have done what you might want to do is one click away. You know, so behavior is really different in this space, but it is such a lower barrier to access. I have met more amazing women doing amazing things in the last few years than ever before. I've been able to network in a whole new way and to connect to content and ideas. And, and the, uh, the ability to instantly see someone on your screen or hear from someone in your ears, look them up in whatever places that you can find them and then take that conversation further and develop a relationship is exactly what I want our attendees to be doing. And, and like, I love our story of our origin story. It's like, this is what I want everyone to experience at events. Yeah, I think, Mary, your little intro for Ariana is like the perfect setup for today's topic, talking about virtual attendee paths, because I think so many people just say there's, you know, we can't connect, virtual events aren't engaging, we can't connect, and yet I feel like time and time again, we're getting these anecdotes of folks who genuinely find each other um, through virtual events, but usually it's not just something that magically happens, there has to be kind of some intention behind it. So that kind of sets up our first question for you, Ariana, of why should event planners producers, even event clients, like prioritize the virtual attendee path? Because it's an entirely different thing. We're used to thinking about the attendee path in physical space. We understand how people arrive. And if I get on site to an on-site venue, I'm immediately noticing, like say I'm at the Hilton, where are my doors? How are guests approaching this? Where have they parked? Have I sent them a parking code? Do I have signage? you know, taking them to the registration area, that entire registration sort of process and experience, how the attendee moves through space doesn't translate directly in the online environment. And going into 2020, I didn't totally understand this or accept this. I really wanted people to read all of my event communications. I thought that I would have them thinking about planning their agenda in the same way that we do in physical space. And I've now surrendered. <laughs> accepting that that's just not how things happen. I, I want the arrival experience to happen far before it does, but I'm accepting that the arrival experience happens when my calendar alert reminds me of this virtual event that I'm about to go to. We have 10 minutes now. In on-site space, I'm at least the night before just, you know, understanding transportation. How long is it going to take me to get there? Planning my agenda. That just isn't how people show up to online events. So understanding and accepting that people book a ticket, set a calendar alert, and then totally forget about our event. Maybe if they really wanna be there, they'll open a pre-event communication and they'll get excited about some of the speakers. Maybe if they are going specifically to look for a new tool, to look for a new opportunity, they'll preview the sponsors that have job opportunities posted. They'll take a look at what might be on the digital expo floor, but they're just not truly engaging with our events until 10 minutes before. When their Slack reminder tells them that Google Calendar just reminded them they have 10 minutes to start thinking about this arrival experience. So I think it's really important that we think about that arrival experience as the first place that we're educating people as to how to engage with this event. So one of the things that I'm doing this year that I haven't done previously is previously we sent out this explainer video that really told you about the specifics of our event program. And I sent this out in all the places. I didn't understand why nobody was watching it. 
This year, I'll be playing that explainer video on stage right after my opening video. Because while I have you here, I want to teach you how to get the most of this event. I want to show you all the places that you can connect with other attendees, that you can get content, that you can reach out and meet your speakers. And I'm really realizing that I just don't have your attention until you've actually sat down and arrived. One of the things that we also are really advocating is asking attendees to just take this time and fully be at this event. If I'm only one click away from a cat video, I'm not having the kind of experience that I want folks to be having. And, and yes, there is that risk in, in on-site space. There is always the risk that I'm up in my phone on Twitter you know, and not engaging with the attendees around me. But it's so much easier in this space that we're really taking the time at the beginning of the events to come together and ask folks, take a minute, like give yourself this time to really meet some other people. Be as present as you possibly can, while also surrendering to the fact that distractions are gonna happen. Most of this content can be accessed after the fact, but the folks that are experiencing the content with you cannot be accessed after the fact. So really capitalizing on what needs to happen in synchronous time and really creating networking opportunities that feel easy to folks. Because yes, you're one click away from a cat video, but you're also one click away from your next business partner. You, I don't know if you noticed, Ariana, when you mentioned signage that Mary and I both laugh because Mary knows this is my uh, pet peeve when it comes to events. I've never been to an event that has too much signage, especially directional <laughs> signage of like where things are. Um, so any in-person in event that I'm, if I'm, that's part of my purview, I'm always like, you can't have too many signs that say bathrooms that way and drinks that way. And uh, so I, I really, that, that's enjoyable. But I think that's so interesting for a, a event hosts to think about as well as even like MCs of how important that that people aren't tuning in, you know, ahead of time and reading some of those materials. And so taking, letting, allowing there to be space in your program to empower folks on how to use the virtual tools. Sounds like that's something that you're, you're gauging now um, as an important part of your program that I feel like I haven't really had those conversations with clients who are thinking that same in that same way. You know, it's been a lesson that's been learned through pain. Um, in 2020, I went in with this set of expectations about behavior, and I really have learned over two years of doing really successful at-scale virtual events that I have to surrender to behavior as it is. And so uh, some folks will be adding to agenda and will really be actively thinking about it, but I also really like to build in space to do that as a group. So we're actually having agenda planning sessions in the morning during our next event so that folks can together be looking at the agenda and see who else is going to what and do drop in networking sessions before the stage is even open. Yeah, I love that because I feel like that's what we I have personally missed when I'm attending. I'm thinking of when I'm attending other virtual events because that's something that you do in an in-person event. You kind of have the opportunity to to find your friends or your colleagues and figure out if you can you can go to a joint session together. So anyway, this whole thing is like blowing my mind because one, it's like as a planner and producer, yes, I totally agree. But then I see myself go to events as an attendee and I'm like the worst attendee and I shouldn't be because I know the I know what it takes, but I'm definitely the person who's like, eh, I'll read the communication like right before I need to hop on. And then I'm like late because it takes me longer. And then I like don't know what's happening. And maybe I'm overconfident. I think that's what I'm trying to say, but it ends up biting me in the butt. But this is, this is awesome. And I'm already like really learning tangible things from you. So thank you for, for sharing that. And um, 
we're kind of, so what you've kind of mentioned is a little bit about the, um, the day of process. So I'm curious too, um, something that you've mentioned, and I think you were kind of maybe leaning towards this is the digital, the aspect of digital hallways during the event. So can you speak a little bit to, to that attendee path as well? So I think about digital hallways in a couple of ways. Um, the most obvious one is the chat feeds. And I really, really believe that an unattended chat feed does not engagement make. An unattended chat feed is just sad. This is like a YouTube video with a comments thread gone rogue. That is not a held space. And as event planners, I think one of the most important things that we can do, sort of like the physical signage holds the space. I don't feel lost because I see directions. I understand where I'm going. I see a greeter. There's volunteers in the hallways. And so I'm really shocked at how many folks don't embed that into their online experiences. We had almost 100 chat monitors because there are so many chats in the particular platform that I use. And every single chat I want to have be its own held space. You wouldn't put the same generic sign everywhere. So I train our chat monitors to really be thinking about who's in this this particular session where might they be wanting to go what are the faqs they're going to have and we make sure that our chat monitors are really well trained on the platform because they're essentially our human directional signs and they're helping hold and, and host the space just like the rest of us are. i was just about to say they're like your physical wayfinders you know you wouldn't just leave people out on their lonesome to get lost in a conference center you would have physical people or signs to to post them, you know, take them there. How do you feel about, this is a, just off, off the cuff here, but how do you feel about the classic, where are you from question in the chat to really uh, get folks talking? I love it and hate it. It's cheap, it's easy. It's an easy um, sort of icebreaker, but I also don't feel it's particularly meaningful. Uh, we do supply, uh, like pre-supply some chat prompts for our chat monitors, but I try to really make them why are you here at this particular event? Like, for example, what are you looking to learn about uh, attendee engagement today? Like, what's your, been your biggest challenge before? So that even if, even if the say the content is pre-recorded on this particular stage, I would like people to start thinking about what their own challenges are that they're bringing in, or who they're looking to connect with around this topic. So I think those are far more interesting conversations. I'll take where are you coming in from because that can be interesting too. But I just I think that like everything else in our events, we really need to customize our chat prompts and the way we're thinking about icebreakers and polls to who our attendees are and what their goals are. Like I come back every time to like, I am really lucky. I work for an organization that supports women in product management. Our attendees are really hungry to connect with each other and to connect with our content. So we have a particularly engaged group. I'm super lucky to work with this amazing organization that really is able to be thoughtful about, about what our attendees are experiencing. And it's not the same nature of, if I was doing an online trade show, that would be very, very different. But these are women that really share a set of challenges and a set of opportunities. And so I think it would be a miss for us to ask them where they were coming in from rather than to ask them what their biggest struggle was as a woman product manager working with a male developer team. That actually leads me to a question and I I feel like I kind of like maybe know the answer, have my thoughts, but I want to hear your thoughts specifically about if like, okay, so based on your audience, right? We, we decide a lot of things about how an event is going to occur based on the audience. And so would you say the virtual attendee path is there's really key components that need to happen for a virtual event. 
or does it differ very widely based on audience? Like I said, I think I have some thoughts, but I want to hear your thoughts on that initial question. <laughs> so I go back to, I think of every event path as having a, a starting point or an arrival moment, typically a high point. Maybe that's connecting one-on-one -on -one with another attendee or hearing something on stage that really resonates. And then some form of conclusion whether that's the stage is ending, whether that's getting a LinkedIn message from someone that I met there, but there's typically an engagement arc. And I think that it's really important to consider what the goals are of our attendees and what all of our stakeholder groups are before we really start thinking about that attendee path. Like, for example, we have both attendees that are there to experience the content we also have sponsors that are really looking to connect with attendees and educate them about opportunities. And then we have speakers who are often looking to extend their influence. They're sometimes hiring themselves and they're often looking to connect with other women that are, that are at similar levels and take their own networks further. So kind of thinking about it through each of the personas that might be walking through my event and making sure that I have something for each of these personas rather than thinking of my attendee as sort of a flat uh, homogenous group. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. That's kind of Logan, what we did when we were trying to um, decide what we wanted to do for this podcast. We had a, an individual persona that we went through and I think her name was Jennifer. <laughs> yep. I think <laughs> we did like Jennifer. That. We wrote out yeah. all of her characteristics and her motivations and <laughs> tried to figure out how we would speak to her directly with this podcast. And it was really helpful for us for figuring out the direction and everything. You know, uh, my CEO, Elizabeth, has this line and it's really, it's like, I have it on post-its all over my home, but it, she brings us back all the time to keep the women at the center. And, you know, we serve a community of women product managers and keeping the women at the center of everything that we do helps me prioritize and make decisions and helps me pick out what's important. And so I think if your mission is strong and central to like, what is the mission of the event? What, who is it serving and, and who, whose interests need to be at the center of this event? I think everything else kind of falls from there. Yeah. We have an episode from when we first started talking about your North star and how, yeah, honing in on your why and the purpose behind what you're doing really helps you um, craft your event, you know, in a way that's going to feel authentic. And often the times when you come away from an event, you're like, I don't know, how was that a miss? It's because, you know, somehow it went awry. I'd be curious to know, have you, do you have any thoughts for companies that maybe, or organizations that are a little farther down the rabbit hole where they've already started to build their content, they're asking speakers, and then they realized, oh no, I forgot about my virtual attendee path. Is there any advice you have for kind of backtracking some or ways that they can still make the most of kind of already a, you know, half created event. Absolutely. We are actually, we're sort of at that position where, and I, we work pretty closely with our speakers to help them understand how to craft and deliver content in a virtual setting, because it is a little bit different. And so we do speaker trainings um, that are off platform that really talk to some of our content is pre-recorded and some of it is live. So we help people think about even when doing pre-record, how can you engage your folks in chat? Like, so starting off with a personal story, but then also asking like, hey, if anyone else has also experienced a whole lot of drop-off after the keynote, shout out and chat, like, let us know what your drop-off numbers are. And where are you having, you know, where are you having the biggest struggles? Because even if this is pre-recorded content coming at folks, my attendees will also help each other in chat, which is the kind of incredible thing is watching folks 
problem solve, suggest solutions, say, hey, I have experience here, reach out to me. Like that is what I love. And I think that we forget that we're not making a TV show. Like this is not a show. Content is super important. Content will always drive the bus, but events are about people. And so if the content doesn't engage the people that are experiencing it live time, it's a fantastic YouTube video after the fact, but this isn't an experience. That's also why I really fight for not recording a lot of components, because I think that when the little red dot is on, we all behave a little bit differently. I think it can take away from some of the vulnerability of, of some of our hosted group networking sessions. And I want to create spaces that are not recorded, that truly can only be experienced in synchronous time, and that give folks a reason to show up. Because I am like every other attendee. If you tell me I'm going to get all the recordings in my inbox, I am not showing up. I'm just not. If everything is recorded, if there is nothing that I am participating in to help co-create, it is not an event. It's a fantastic show. But an event requires attendees contributing to the experience in, in ways that feel meaningful. I love that so much. And I was thinking I have had, I've worked with a couple of clients who really want for one reason or another to turn the chat off. And I would love to hear your thoughts on that too. It's intriguing because I, I think the reason behind it is they don't want it to be a distraction, but it's kind of like what you're mentioning. It is one of the key ways that people can engage with one another. If engagement is a goal of a virtual event, which it should be, I think. And so um, that that's something I've didn't realize it until you were talking, but I was like, this actually comes up fairly often. And I feel like it's now that virtual events have happened so much. They they've learned that sometimes the chat can like take its own life. And so they just want to turn it off completely. Is that a missed opportunity? I think that if I had no staff, no volunteer base and no support, and I was a one woman show trying to run an event, possibly that would be my only option because it is hard to manage chat interactivity at scale and to create a hosted space that doesn't go rogue, it definitely would depend on the nature of the attendee. Our attendees are a really, really supportive group. And so they're not fault finding in chat. Um, it is, it's a, it's a supportive environment that, but we still really feel it's important to hold that space. I think turning off chat is a, for me, that would be a really painful choice. Um, but it would be as painful as, as having speakers do recordings and then not necessarily helping them think about the folks that are experiencing this live time. Um, I, you know, I, I think that would be a huge miss unless I was then gonna follow up my stage experience with interactive roundtable sessions where folks could then digest the content together. So I think there are other ways to create interactivity around the content. But I think some form of elevating the attendee voice is hypercritical. Yeah, I think that also causes back. To, I think thinking, Mary, to some of our folks that we've dealt with often, you know, they're dealing with that question of, oh, where are you from? And that can make the chat go off and get people, you know, interacting. But it can also be distracting because it's just ping after ping of not as like relevant questions or information. So I, I will do a slight plug for one of our past episodes, episode 48, um, where we talk about asking better questions with another guest that I think is really in the vein where you're talking about, Ariana, of like the why are we here? What are the pain points for the folks here? So that if it is a chat that's really active, at least it's a you know beneficial, whether it's people connecting over shared pain points or offering solutions or something like that. But 
Yeah. I just, I've also found it sometimes an afterthought. I think the other key you're hitting here is having the resources and the folks to help moderate and, and track the chat. Cause I think some people just think if I have a chat, it's open, it'll do its own thing. And, and that's where they're coming from in that space that it easily can get distracting if left to its own devices. It can. We also, one of the things that we've found is we've had some of our presenters really make good use of their slides to engage in chat. So it's been questions like, you know, which of these scenarios have you experienced, A, B, or C? And then maybe, yes, chat is blowing up with a whole bunch of A, 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 B, 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 but you understand where people's mindsets are as they're experiencing this. So it can be used really strategically. To, to both understand audience resonance um, with the content and also to sort of gauge levels of experience. Like how many of you guys are coming here from big companies who have heavily resourced teams? Or how many of y'all are, you know, single person event, you know, one woman shows and looking for solutions that you can manageably handle yourself? So I think really speaking to the listener and saying, hey, like there's, you know, we're all here. Like, I think that's where chat can be really useful too is asking the sort of provocative identification questions that allow folks to find each other and then support each other. I mean, I hope our listeners are feeling it very thought provoking because I definitely am. And it's a good reminder. And like, like we already mentioned at the beginning, something that really does fall on the wayside. And there are so many components of the virtual attendee path. And I don't say that to make anyone feel overwhelmed. It's, it's, it points out, like you're saying that it's so critical. And so, um, is there, are there, there, there's so much that we could talk about with this. So are there any other key components of the virtual attendee path that you want to make sure that we do cover today that we have not yet talked about? You know, I also really like to think about ways to engage. Um, the platform that I use offers, and I don't know if this is the correct term, this is what I call it, but I call it multimodal engagement. So for a lot of the session content, I have the option as an attendee to participate in chat while watching. I can also elect to join on screen and, and ask my question that way. And I think understanding that we're all coming from very, very different places right now. I mean, yes, most of us are still in our living rooms, but some of those living rooms might involve three dogs and two children. And maybe I am not in a place where I can turn my screen on and participate in that way, but I still wanna participate. Whereas other folks might be really wanting to jump up on stage and ask their questions. Just understanding that like we have an opportunity to meet folks in a variety of ways all at the same time right now. And respecting that experience rather than demanding that everyone jump on and turn their camera on. Just understanding that like part of what we're going through right now is really this choose your own adventure. That we can't anymore close the ballroom and shove everyone out in the hallway. So we have to understand that the way people are navigating through this, this online space is the nature of the internet. It's click around, it's choose your own adventure. So because of that click around, I think we also need to create opportunities to click and stay. So one of the things that I'm gonna be trying out this next event is looking at limited capacity live workshops. Because if there's only 50 seats in this workshop, and there's 2000 attendees here and I click in and I see that there's 48 other people here, I'm pretty likely to stay if I want this content and this experience. And I think it's really important to have people bought in and willing to stay and engage in live time because it's these conversations that create a great event. So if 
again, if everything is recorded, nobody is there conversing about it and that live interactive element is lost. So I fight pretty hard to keep some things limited capacity, live time opportunities only because I think that that is pretty critical to the event experience if we're gonna be thinking about online events as experiential. I'm not popular for that decision. Not a popular we love on We love controversial opinions because it doesn't mean they're not true. I think it's just, I think some people think that sounds like more work and then again are surprised when things don't magically happen on their own versus those that go into it with the same intention, like you're seeing the virtual attendee path and thinking through it and putting yourself in their shoes. You're probably getting much better results and people are still, you know, are curious, how do you do that? And then they realize it's work and then maybe you're not as interested in that, you know. Why can't I just say, where is everyone from in the chat? Come on. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I also want to like back that up with the fact that like I come from a pretty well-resourced team. I have an incredibly supportive team and broadcasters. And so I'm in a position to be able to pull back and be a little bit more intentional and a little bit more strategic that a group with less resources maybe wouldn't have. Mm. So I think there's also ways to really scale this back too. And like I because we have a community that's incredibly supportive and eager to volunteer and help host these spaces we have a ton of chat moderators and monitors but if you're if you're less resourced i would run fewer stages and i would be i would hold the spaces that i had more intentionally rather than try to do more i think sometimes the miss is trying to do too much because we're not limited anymore by ballroom capacities so especially in 2020, we all went kind of rogue and there was like 10 stages happening at any given time just because we could. And we have actually scaled back our stage count and our total content because we had a lot of feedback around FOMO. There's a lot of feedback around, uh, there's too much going on. I don't know how, like I'm disoriented because there's too many things happening um, because people weren't used to having to make critical choices online with how they spent their time because usually the content is still there. So we've actually scaled back a little bit in response to that. But I always want I always want to get feedback that there was too much happening and I couldn't choose. That is the <laughs> best problem to have. Like that helping people understand there's a real reason to be here in live time. And you will miss out on, on meeting other folks and on some awesome conversations and some super like cutting edge thought leadership if you're not here in live time. And I want as much as possible to be accessible afterwards, but I also really want to preserve those spaces where you have to be here to get it. This has been so awesome. I, like I said before, I just am finding a lot of value. So thank you so much for sharing all your knowledge with us. It's been so amazing. Um, we like to wrap with some sentence finishers, just kind of some random questions for fun that we'd love to ask you. But before we do that, is there anything else that you'd like to add that we didn't touch on? Just that I hope as, a, as an event world that we stay open and we stay curious. This is, it, this is and continues to be such an exciting time. The future of work is like being built in front of us. And I, I don't, I don't think the question is like, do we do we stay in this online space or do we go back on site? I think that's a really flat question. I think the question that we need to be asking ourselves about our event programs as a whole, not a singular event, but about our whole event program is which of these elements need to happen on site? For me, I'm like, that's the food, that's the dancing, that's the party, that's what happens on site. And, and what 
sometimes happens better online. And some of that is this hardcore technical content where I want to be able to revisit it, where I want to be able to deliver a ton of information and have folks have the ability to freely rewatch it, be one click away from my resources and my library listings. So I think really just picking apart every element of events and deciding what needs to happen in physical space and what has more value in online space and giving ourselves some freedom to make mistakes. Cause we're going to keep making mistakes. Like, and that's how we're going to get better as an industry. Yeah, totally. And we've learned so much during this time. And so I just, it hurts my heart to, to have, see people who just seem to forget it or they're very excited just to go back to how things were, but I love the idea of staying curious. So you're here. Couldn't agree more. Um, so thank you for that. And so we will go ahead and do our sentence finishers. Logan, do you want to, do you want to hit us with those? Yeah. So the first one we have for you, Ariana, is if I had more hours in the day, I would learn to swim again. Ooh, that's a good answer. I like that. I'm petrified of the ocean and I live in Hawaii. <laughs> baby steps, baby pools first. If that feels less intimidating, <laughs> then, <laughs> then the, the maybe ocean. just sprinkler. <laughs> Mary, you want to take the next one? Oh, sure. Okay. So my favorite productivity tool is Asana. We love those project management tools for sure. <laughs> but I also really am like, I'm such a hardcore Calendly girl. Like Calendly is so game changing as well. Yeah. Speaking we our Calendly. tool language. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, last one for you, Ariana, is something you look for, you're looking forward to this year, whether business or professional is? Pushing more boundaries. This has been such an incredible ride the last few years, really understanding that we can be professionals from anywhere, that we can gather from anywhere, that we can live anywhere and keep doing what we're doing and keep meeting other professionals in the industry. So I just want to keep pushing boundaries and building better together. Like, I mean, we could keep talking to you forever, Ariana. We'll have to definitely have you come back and keep talking about how you're staying curious and new trends that you're seeing come from the space. But before we let you go, can you let us know where our listeners can find you or, or follow you? Um, I'm Ariana dot slash S slash black on LinkedIn, Ariana black. Uh, LinkedIn is the only social I do, or you can always keep up with women in product at womenpm.org. Well, thank you so much for being here, Ariana. We really appreciate you taking the time. Awesome. Thank you so much. I love these conversations. I could talk events all day. I know. <laughs> oh, thank, thank you. you. <laughs> yeah. And Mary, I think that's time for our bonus tip, which I think you have with us this week. Yeah, my bonus tip is, um, I always feel like they're random because I guess they are, they're random bonus tips, but this one feels particularly random to me. I was going through some of my old notes and I have been kind of keeping track of some royalty-free music because I feel like we just end up needing it a lot of the time. And so Logan and I have this joke, we use this the same playlist a lot of the time. I'm not going to say more than that because then we're going to give all our secrets away. When you hear an event we do, you're going to probably hear the same playlist, but um I found some other ones that I really, really like. And so I'm going to link them in the show notes. So this is kind of leaving you hanging because my bonus tip is that they are in the show notes. So go and check them out. See if you like them. There's like a, a long playlist. I didn't create it, but it's something that I found. And so just feel free to use that as another resource for your royalty free music needs. That's a great pro tip, Mary. And yes, I think as any event pro, get a royalty free music library. 
save it. You'll have it on hand whenever you need a last minute music, music playlist for sometimes some people, and it might end up being the same one over and over again. So um, that brings us to the end of this week's episode. You can follow us at Instagram at better events pod or Twitter. You can send us an email at better events pod at gmail.com. And as always, we really appreciate you all for listening and we'll be back in your feeds again next Wednesday. Thanks everybody.